Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Trevor. And together, we're We're Occasionally Interesting, interesting. the podcast where a couple travels the world interviewing the most interesting people they meet along the way. Sometimes it will be sweet. Often entertaining. Rarely conservative. Frequently informative. Occasionally occasionally interesting. Occasionally interesting. Occasionally interesting. Let's do a little bit of background. So I saw you just, we met you, and then you immediately fled to Canada. Yeah. You were there for a few months, and uh, were you, you're from Canada, but it seemed like you were exploring Canada, because you were taking some beautifully, beautiful, breathtaking photographs, all of How are you aware of this? Because we're friends on Facebook. Facebook? Is that your main uh, sharing network? It's my main thing in general. I just... What makes but... you What makes you angry on Facebook? What are the most common... Facebook anger points. Um, just I guess generally just seeing people virtue signaling. Uh, virtue signaling. Yeah, just really irritates me. I'm not familiar like with pie, this term. Could you? Uh, what do like you mean by virtual signaling? Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. What is virtue, example? Virtue signaling is pretty much any time you. You post something on Facebook or something where, like, it, everybody does it when they, do, like, the most common way is when, you know, they, they just post, make a post that they agree with. So they just want to, they, they want to show you that they, what they think, or they see a meme and, or a carefully worded thing on Facebook, and then they post that, and then the, the, the caption might be, yep, or this, <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah, and and what I that really irritates me. Um, I think that future generations will look back on those posts the most and mm. be like, "What the fuck are these people doing? Like these people are fucking morons." Because what do you just that they're including a caption of any kind, and the caption is so. You're basically saying, "I don't, I'm not good at words." So like. It's like when somebody said, like, it irritates me when when, it, when people say uh, something like, um, words can't express how much I feel about this thing. It's like, why not? Like, <laughs> why, why not? Can't, can't you, like, use your words, you know, like you, I studied writing in school, so I mean, our teacher, you could, ne- you'd never, they would never accept a, a sentence like that. Mm. Like, uh, <laughs> Just the, that's how you open your essay. It's like, no, words you can't express use your words. Like, try to, to explain <laughs> this <laughs> thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a really good point. This is, yeah. I mean, don't you ever feel frustrated by the limitations of language? Oh, yeah. This is our I'm, I'm exaggerating. Way I, just, of communicating. I just wanted to start the podcast out on a real negative note. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. We appreciate I, that. Yeah. yeah so, is, you guys know really who I am. <laughs> Um, I wrote yeah. a, I wrote a fiction story when I was in middle school about uh, a superior method of communicating complex ideas that was you would essentially bake a subject into a biscuit and then you would eat that biscuit and get all the knowledge so you could bake entire books into biscuits uh, or like your own personal thoughts but you would have to you would have to do the baking you could get biscuits from like a library or books book biscuit store. And, I like this. Uh, but it would just be an immediate transference as you digested it. It would just be in your brain. And I told, I said, I told Trevor about this story as soon as we 
met as adults because it was definitely like frustrating to, to, to meet somebody who you like connect with and are able to discuss complex concepts but still it feels like there's such a limiting factor being imposed by language so I'm always just like ah knowledge biscuits so that's what they were called I just want to be able to I like, like that when I reach mm-hmm. the limitations of language and want yeah. to go further and I start tripping on my tongue I just want to be like ah real quick eat this you know right <laughs> how great would that be we have you read the story by Roald Dahl uh the one where he invents the machine that writes books so it uses like a like complex probably. algorithm and it, like you pull these levers. What was it called? I can't remember, but we, we read it in Nepal just recently. I don't know if I ever got the title. Um, I feel like I read every Roald Dahl book there was when I was a kid. But. It's, a, it's one of the best stories I've ever, we were reading it like around a campfire type thing when got, one person was reading. It was really nice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, in the end, yeah, like he, he makes this machine that will write a bestseller just by using steam and technology and then in the end it's like a commentary on how the state of writing in his time well, i guess the time he wrote that book and how everything is just essentially yeah it's not it doesn't come from the heart anymore or it's something a mode like of that. production rather than creativity yeah yeah like yeah i love that story hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Jeez, how long ago was that written then I think it wasn't that long ago, actually. I think it was one of his later... I, I, I'm not sure, he was but... mostly writing books in the 80s, right? Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. yeah. Not that long ago. Yeah, surprisingly, yeah. Uh, have, do you read Wait, Wait, But Why? No. Okay, well, we talk about it on pretty much every podcast Yeah, I, episode. you talked about it on the one where Jason was on, too. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. That, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's the number one thing I recommend on the whole internet, I think, um, other than our podcast. And what was I going to say about it? I don't know. <laughs> what were we just saying? Well, Shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a thing called Wait But Why. Well, like, you know, we're talking about the limitations of language. What I, what my, I, my brain initially went to was, uh, are you familiar with Josh Ritter? He's an artist. He's yeah. A, oh, the, the musician? Musician. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's also and a painter. painter. Oh, yeah. And story writer. Um, I was listening to an NPR thing on him. National Public Radio. I don't know if you, I know, you, I don't know if you get that up in, I, I up in a, I, I the do, neighbor to the do, north yeah. in Canada. Um, and he was he has a lot of biblical terms that he uses, and he's not particularly he's not religious. And he was explaining why he does that, and his explanation was that they're loaded terms that have baggage, and which is why I don't like them. But he uses them sort of advantageously to that. Like this is these are things that are going to have this deeper meaning that I can say in a three line. And what I'll, do you mean? Like, it adds depth to his song because of the context that it's coming from. And it, it, it provides this deeper, you know, I can, a word like God has a lot of, like a tree of meaning behind sure. it. Rather than just saying like, oh, there was this dude who did some crazy shit one day. <laughs> like, two totally different Story depths Jesus. of uh, uh, storytelling. And sure. I thought that was really, I've, it, it stuck with me from that interview. It was, it was his... Uh, his explanation as to why he uses such and his al- one album is called sermon on the rocks which i always thought was clever um, yeah uh, and yeah that's linguistics yeah linguistics yeah yeah languages i don't know i was pretty nervous to come here every time i i want to every time it seems like i go to explain something that i want to say or i just i don't know i screw it up somehow and i kind of feeling uh <laughs> <laughs> What? But, uh, like, I, w- I just went to uh, a few months, right before I went to Canada, I got a scholarship to this uh, this seven f- 
photography. They had a Seven is a journal, a photojournalism organization that uh, it's one of the 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 best. There's Magnum Photography and then Seven, and um, I went there to to that. It was a great honor to get chosen. There was just ten people chosen for this like a master class thing with these like the world's greatest photojournalists and stuff and that's awesome and you're, 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 yeah thanks thanks yeah, yeah i was very happy but I'm, I'm not sure i should have been allowed in that. i'm not sure i was ready almost i don't know how i got accepted into that i think i'm really i'm really good at uh, writing applications for jobs <laughs> and stuff i don't know i'm just i've always been very good at it hmm. and i wrote a epic letter to this guy and they let me in but anyway you had to do uh <clears throat> um, you were supposed to bring five to ten photos and and show them to the class and then explain your like kind of an explanation of your journey through photography, which is exactly what I set out to do. So I had these ten, nine or ten photos that I and I was like, I'm gonna do exactly what it says. I'm gonna I'm going to show these photos and I'll choose photos that show my journey as a photographer and like the great turning points of my, but of course what, he, what they really meant was show us 10 of your best photos, <laughs> which is what everyone did except for me. So I'm kind of, I was one of the first ones picked to, to talk. And then, uh, as soon as I started to talk, I just realized I'd made a huge mistake. And What? Uh, no, my God, you had a unique perspective. No, I was saying they didn't buy it at all. And I think I should have prepared more carefully uh well i should have just shown my best photos and just let well, do them... you think what would do you think that really was their intention was to bring your 10 best photos or do yeah. you think that you were more accurate and everybody else was just like i'm not gonna get in front of these people and, and not show my best work no i think that i always do this like in in photography school we you always had to like he wanted you to demonstrate like the teacher would give you an assignment where you had to demonstrate like your knowledge of this one technical aspect of of the camera or something. And so I would go out to to make the best photo that I could, but really they just really wanted to see mm. that you understood this thing. So I was I was always going for art and then I I would if I had just stuck to the assignment, I would have nailed it every time, but I I'm always like I want to do the assignment plus I want to blow them away, you know, like with but you with these in art schools like like you're not going to you always have this dream that you're going to show them this this photo and they're going to go hey man we don't we don't need we can't teach you anything <laughs> you're you're good like uh yeah i mean you should be you should be teaching this class you know you know that you have this dream that that's going to happen it never never happens that way. <laughs> but it, but with this one with the the teacher was uh his name was uh, Ron Haviv and um he was he's literally the guy you know 10 or 10 or 15 years ago I saw him interviewed and he was he's the guy that made me go yeah I think I I think I want to to do that you know that, that could be something I wanted to do so he was and to kind of yeah it was embarrassing like um yeah, there. I don't. I don't know how much you guys want to get into this already. I'm very curious. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued yeah. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, like there was, there's one photo of this young girl when I was in, uh, I was in Nepal shooting the earthquake, um, and this, I, I'd never told anybody this before, but I've been telling this story recently, so I might as well just tell you guys this now. But it was, well, it's kind of hard to get into without getting into the whole story get but into the whole story get into it. <laughs> uh well i had taken this photo of this girl 
And I was trying to explain to the class that it was, I'm ashamed of this photo because I had taken it without her permission. Mm-hmm. And later she talked, she, she talked to me and I realized what a mistake I'd made. But, um, you know, I'd just been introduced to this class and they didn't know me. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I re- there was just silence. Like they, I didn't really feel like anybody got that I was trying to say that I'd made, that I had, that this was a, a change for me, like a, this was a moment where I realized I was, my, my, my whole self was wrong. Like I wasn't a good enough person to, to be taking these photos. You know, I needed to up my game in photography, but also just as a, as a person, you know, I needed to be, that I was, my motives were not pure and stuff like that, but that they didn't get it. They just, I looked at, there was, you know, 10 of them plus a teacher. And I was, for one, I was the only, I was the only white guy in, in the class. And I, you could feel that they just, they just saw, like I had just admitted to them kind of that I was just this piece of shit. Like I, I was just this, like essentially like a paparazzi in a, mm. who's, who's gone to a land of poor people where uh, he's just going to take advantage of, of them, you know, that. Yeah, and I didn't have time to kind of explain the whole thing like I do right now, you know. And it was just a, and for for the rest of the of the class, I just felt embarrassed and, and I could feel that they. They, yeah, that they, they were kind of like, yeah, we don't really need this guy, to be here to explain his like perspective because you can tell he he doesn't, doesn't have a he doesn't have a good doesn't have a good one his perspective is is not 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 correct so anyway you think that's actually Science. true or do you uh, think yeah, that I mean, was I'm, do you think that that sounds like generally somebody who would say that would yeah. would, would be more like in their own head than, yeah, oh i definitely accurate. that's what i'm saying i have terrible crippling social anxiety <laughs> it's i'm sure i'll go home after this podcast and just be like what the fuck were you <laughs> I'll, I'll just run it over I've, I've always had that problem of of running things over and over and over in my mind after I can after relate. I yeah. <laughs> I can't smoke weed at all oh, yeah? because I like oh my god, I just I go back I'll go back like fucking years. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. oh it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Like, oh why did I say that? In like third grade like Oh my god, why I wish yeah. there was a way that we could not have that happen because yes, it's true. Trevor has uh, sometimes has self control and implements a method of a giant stop sign, where anytime he's going down these thought loops, he just pictures a huge yeah. stop sign and like focuses in on that. And, and it, it works. Yeah. I think the other technique that I've been using more recently is. I uh, mean, while it's happening. While it's after? happening, like I'll realize that I'm like starting to like cringe at this thing that doesn't. There's just there's no there shouldn't be any any energy spent on the you know something that's so irrelevant that, and I just literally just like a you know. It also works with trying to quit cigarettes. Yeah. It's <laughs> just putting up this, I'm not going to go down. I'm changing thought patterns. Go to something else. Just anything else. Yeah. And that works sometimes. Yeah. I employ that technique as well, but mostly it never occurs to me while, while things are going down. But after when I'm lying in bed, complete insomnia, unable to sleep, I will use like a thought stopping, mm-hmm. like a meditation type thing where I just same thing it's kind of like a stop sign where i just go like i'm not i will not allow myself to think about this anymore mm-hmm. you know? i usually then try to go to something creative 
think of something creative, write a story in my head, right? yeah. just something oh, yeah. that's engaging enough to be and using more of my like, you know, because because the problem with that sometimes is it's still ruminating underneath the surface. Like, yeah, I might have tried to change my, my four brain thought pattern, but the rest of my brain's still very much there. Yeah. Um, and then to do something creative with my brain is is then I think uses the rest of it like it trickles down to the deeper depths of my brain and, and, and kind of gets me out of those thought patterns. I, I hear you. Yeah, it sounds like we have a lot in common that way. Yeah, I mean, it's, and the other thing is just be like, you know what, like, and if, and especially if it's something that I, you know, you know if I really did fuck up or, you know, and it's like, well, you know, you're still worthy of love and you're still a decent person and, you know, you can always do better and that's fine too, you know? Yeah. That's always a helpful little, uh, sure, sure. Re- remembering. Yeah, I find gotcha. the most fascinating thing about social anxiety to be that people who suffer from it are so self-obsessed yet they don't apply that to other people of being like how does that not alleviate some of it that like you're thinking about yourself pretty exclusively so is everybody else yeah nobody's fucking thinking yeah, about yeah. you doesn't that yeah. give you any like, i know this deep freedom? down but yeah i can be yeah. aware of that really yeah it, that doesn't help though no. i don't know why there's it offers no solace yeah. to me at all that other people aren't thinking about me because <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, yeah why what is why is that all about it could be, you know, similar to why, you know, like you want, you want them to be like, you should be teaching this class. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, know? yeah, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Well, but I think I really enjoyed this story of, of you realizing that you had to not only progress as a photographer, but also as a human on a soul, soul level. I think that's yeah. a fantastic story to share. And I think that there are so many people who can relate to that. And by telling these stories of these vulnerable stories of, oh, I've realized that I was a shitty person and not putting on this face of like yeah. my journey from like awesomeness to greatness to excellence, you know, sure. it's my journey of like, Oh fuck. And yeah. learning from that and becoming a better person. But you have to have those Oh fuck moments. And yeah, absolutely. Everybody can relate to that. And yeah, I think that's a, that's a great short story that you should continue to share. So I'm yeah. sure that'll help yeah. people. You're in Nepal covering the earthquake Yeah, and you felt as though you were, sort of paparazzi taking advantage, building a portfolio off of this tragedy? Is that kind of like what you were? Um, when I started, I, I started, I didn't actually start doing photography until 2014 when I, I, I was doing it, but I, I went back to school when I was like, I think I was, th- well, I can do the math quite quickly, I guess, but uh, <laughs> I was in my late thirties at the time. And, um, so I had been, I, I, I was taking photographs, but I not, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was working mostly as a musician at, up until that point, which I still do, but um, I've always played guitar and stuff. Like you guys know, I play in a band around here and that, and that was kind of my, my artistic thing for a long time. Uh, I'd gone to school previously for music. But photography com- compared with music is like for me, like, like music on a scale of one to ten, like a, a, as a creative outlet for me, is like a, a six out of ten, and photography is like a thousand out of ten. Really? Yeah, it's like so. Like when it, when I said that about it, um, you know, it, there's moment when when you take photos that the, sometimes a photo will really teach you something mm. about your what's wrong with you. I mean, that's really true. Like 
photography is a miracle for, for that. When you take thousands and thousands of photos, it there you can't lie to yourself anymore. Like there, there's certain patterns that you start to see and when you when you do it seriously. That and I just never got any of that. Like I love playing guitar and I I love the fact that I can do it. And almost all my friends and relationships are are based on on music somehow. Like, uh, but as far as like inner growth. Uh, and creativity, I, I get way, way, obviously, like way, way more from photography. What was the question? I don't know. Yeah, I find that examining your perspective. I never really thought of it. That's like that. yeah, that's very fast. Because I would have assumed the opposite. Music is such a visceral, like interactive aspect to it that photography. But you're not able to have that same taking a step back and yeah, witnessing yourself in the process. That's yeah. interesting. Well, for me, I, I'm not much of a like. Back in the day, when in my twenty, early twenties and stuff, I, I I composed a lot of music, and that was very creatively satisfying. But now, like even even just listening to music, it mostly always comes from like a gig that I have, or I have to listen to this music because I need to learn this stuff. And um, like, and when I'm performing, I I'm not. It's more like a like a collection of licks and riffs and things and songs but i'm not really creating i'm I'm learning like we play in a bar band you know it's not that it's very fun but it's not for me not creatively rewarding well with jason or someone like jason when jason plays jason was on the podcast uh recently or just a few podcasts ago you can guys can go and listen to that one but uh, he creates a, like, he creates something every, he can play, like, Sweet Home Alabama, and he will create something totally new and original, like, it's incredible to watch, while, for me, it's more like, like, work or something, I mean, I, I've never achieved that anywhere near the level of what he has, you know, uh, so I just don't see music in the same way as, as these other, other people do. I, I don't know. Like, I love it. I love doing it. It's not, I'm not really creating that much, you know, I'm, yeah. While photography, I, I, I totally, I feel is like a, you know, it's like a window into who I am and, and it has to, it's just taught me so much. So to get back, uh, yeah, I, I decided to go to photography school uh, in 2014 after taking photos. Like, I've been traveling since 2005 and always took photos. And I, I think people, like, the reason I, I decided to get serious about it is because people told me I was good at it. And it just seemed like I would take photos and people would react to them and, and say, you know, somehow you, you seem to capture this better than the rest of us, you know, or, or, and I was like, maybe I am like, Hmm, maybe I am a, maybe I am a good photographer who knows. Right. But really, I, I didn't know you, you I needed to go to school to, to have somebody like the best thing about photography school is that somebody will destroy your <laughs> ego, mm. you know, the, the, right away on the first day, your teachers will just be like, look, you know, you might think you're good, but your photos are fucking shit. Like, they are shit. You're not... That's not it, man. Like, you're not doing it. You're not con in control. You're not really expressing anything. You're not... And it, it's hard to take. But it, it takes a lot of practice to be critiqued like that, which doesn't... Um, and to accept it, you know? Um, 
which just doesn't happen when you don't go to school. People were like, why do you need to go to photography school, man? Like, you're like, why would you need to do that? You just, I, anyone can do it. You just take the camera and you just, <laughs> just hold it up and you just press that button. Like, you know, anyone can do it. But it's, it's the critique mostly that uh, changes you as a person. And when you're, when you're just constantly brought down from your pedestal that you think you're on, like you go out one week and take a, a great photo, feeling all proud of yourself, jumping around your bedroom, like jumping on your bed, like I can't believe how good this is. And, you, and your teacher just takes a look at it and just casts it aside, like doesn't even, and, and then just moves on. Like doesn't even, Aww. you know, it, it hurts, man, but it's... Doesn't but, even give it the proper burial. Yeah, yeah. But this is another thing we can talk about, really. Like I, I, I think that people don't receive enough criticism like when we were we were kind of talking before we started like about just seeing some you know crappy art or crappy there there's people that we know that and possibly myself included with the with the music and stuff that <clears throat> people don't receive enough negative criticism they you need I more I absolutely agree I think it's even getting harder you know <laughs> you know now there's so many safe spaces and I'm yeah. like it's it's I think people especially if you know our generation and, and younger generations even more so. Like, uh, this is not my personal experience. I grew up uh, being an actress and a singer, and then I went to film school, oh, yeah. and then I've been a uh, painter artist since graduating from that. And oh, yeah. I have received a world of constructive criticism my whole life. I've always been told everything I'm doing wrong. <laughs> I mean, like, you know. Yeah. I think you're unique in that regard. I don't <laughs> well, think I've certainly, that that's... I've chosen pursuits that, well, yeah, that are that are most. You need to have that criticism. Yeah, to... I mean, especially especially being an actress and trying to be an actor, like a paid actress as a as a child, it was just constant criticism of every possible thing wrong with me. So yeah, I feel like that that prepared me for life as an artist. <laughs> what do you mean, from your mom or? No, I mean, like, going on auditions and stuff from, from oh, yeah. casting agents. I mean, from the time I was, like, yeah, 10, 11, just really? being told, like, everything terrible about my appearance and why I, like, wouldn't be, like, well, almost somebody all picking the time, your it part, was, like, a lot of the time, it was, like, your audition was great, like, great delivery, but you're just too ugly for this part. Like, no <laughs> one's going to, no, people don't want to look at you. Like, if this was a voiceover, you'd get it, but it's not, Oh, my not, God, so. you're joking. <laughs> wow. It's intense. At 10 years old? Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you familiar with the, the concept of radical honesty? No. Not, well, I mean, I mean not, yeah, it's I, pretty, I, pretty, pretty straightforward. But there's but, like a guy in Virginia, Bart yeah, something. There's, a, there's like, like a movement. A on it. Yeah, that, uh, um, it's, where, where did we first? I think Tim Ferriss. I'm pretty sure it was Tim Ferriss talked about it. You know, it's, it's the idea that, you know, you should be 100% honest in, in, you know, and that means not holding back, not to be like, you know, oh, yeah, no, the, the, the chocolate thing you gave me before the podcast was good, you know. I, oh, shit. I, I hated it. Wasn't enough sugar. I can't agree chocolate. with that. I, convince me, though. Like, what, what else does this person say? Well... I don't have to do it. It's that a real concept. Like yeah, people, this people, people practice do this. it, yeah. and, and people the, teach it all over. I mean, all over the world, there are like radical honesty teachers uh, that who hold like sessions on a regular basis. It is a movement. Um, certainly, the idea is once you are a practitioner of uh, radical honesty, that people 
will adjust and the you know criticism seems so harsh right now because we're always sugarcoating it but when you come to expect only true honesty from somebody you will adjust accordingly like that their insult is is now kind of like a, a normal and their compliment is an even bigger compliment and yeah you're just not taking it the same way because for most people right now you're getting maybe maybe seven percent criticism and so it seems so much more harsh but if it's like you know 20 percent criticism 20 percent compliments and mostly like neutral <laughs> which is which is reality then uh you know right. you, you, and you, it also it teaches you to grow it teaches it teaches you all these things that maybe your photographs are teaching you the art school is teaching you it teaches you how to be a better person you're and you're able to i think it's founded on the idea that it would we'd be all be better off if we got appropriate criticism which requires honesty this i agree with yes and it does seem that like a lot of the people who are most attracted to this are naturally assholes though so it gives it a bit of a bad name like i i am a genuinely kind person who loves other human beings for me to practice radical honesty is going to be uh feeling a lot more social permission to give compliments to tell people how wonderful they are for some people it might be social permission to just ruin them all the time right but it's it's also like it goes deeper than just you know necessarily being honest like if you're in an awkward situation and you're laughing at a joke that you didn't find funny yeah just to sort of ease the tension that's not really being honest no i see what i said yeah that makes sense um now i i'm certainly you know i think that i always appreciate when somebody can somebody's doesn't just go along with what the conversations and they're they're and they they're, they're tactfully they they're good at navigating that way of being like no I disagree with you and you know and and they do it in a way that doesn't feel confrontational yeah. and and somehow drives the conversation forward rather than like I always notice that and appreciate it and sure you know I I will admit that I'm certainly not always the one to be like no i disagree with you sir and we shall explore this topic <laughs> right yeah. i like your fancy man voice yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i fully agree i it, yeah you can really i mean it doesn't seem like it would work for me because i'm such a negative person i always see the worst of things so if i was to be radically honest it would just it would just <laughs> essentially you'd just be being a total dick all, all the time that would that would be Cause yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'm mostly. <laughs> so yeah. do you ever like say or think nice things, or your regular life is just holding back all of the mean things? <laughs> I don't. I can't remember things. thinking a nice thing for a long. No, I, I, I do. <gasps> I do. I do think. But yeah, honestly, not. Not that often. It seems like my mind is completely in this world of negativity almost all the time. And Do you I, I think can't... that potentially if you explored that and like let it come out and be free and allowed the universe to interact with you, like for example, you're thinking all these negative thoughts of how people were interpreting your opening speech in this photography class and if you confronted them and you were like, I'm feeling really awkward, here's my perception of what you're thinking and they came back to you being like, no, I fucking loved that, thank you for saying that, I didn't know how to respond. Would like, do you think that this could have a cumulative effect of making you think the world was a little less shitty? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I so mean, people what did. What would happen if they were like, <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, I did. <laughs> really uh, fucked up. Yeah, that what was a terrible speech, did? and people... now I think you're terrible. And again, Wait, so people at this conference reacted positively? Ron Haviv, the photographer, we had to do like a one-on-one, and I told him the story of the 
this that girl I, I had told it in the in my and he, the very first thing he said to me was can I use this story and when I teach the next class because it's such a great that's amazing teaching, You're teachable still moment looking back on this and I still look back and I'm like oh I wish I hadn't said that I'm such a fucking oh my idiot yeah are we allowed to swear of course yes. <laughs> absolutely I really you just took off your sweater I really like your shirt <laughs> so oh, I shoot people and sometimes cut off their heads with yeah. a big camera on it it's great. <laughs> Yeah, I've got this in Nepal. Yeah, I don't wear it out. Usually, just on certain occasions. Where, <laughs> this yeah. was a very appropriate occasion. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because it. it might not go over the best. <laughs> People who have experienced terrorism. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I feel I'm. I recommend that you listen to Dax Shepard's podcast because have you ever have you I heard of it? I know Dax Shepard. Yeah, armchair expert. It's all yeah. about. He's know, like an actor, right? He is he's an on a uh, TV show or Parenthood. He, that was that's over. Now he's on Bless This Mess, but his podcast is all about, yeah, kind of like bringing 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 the darkness into the light. He's a big advocate for um, AA and uh, thinks that the program should be exposed to everybody. And like a big part of it is taking a fierce moral inventory. And he has um, pe- many people from different backgrounds on his podcast and believes the way to have a good conversation and to get people to be comfortable and vulnerable with you is to put your vulnerability and like how shitty you are out on the table first so that people can meet you where you're at. Where you're at. And it has resulted, he is one of the most popular podcasts. Yeah, it is popular. Kind of I haven't listened to it, but I, I've heard of it. It I was, it was it. a Jeopardy clue the other day. Oh, that's funny. He was on a, he was, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Watch Jeopardy. Uh, yeah, how are you I watching Jeopardy. Jeopardy over here? Um, it's actually you, there are episodes on Netflix, but um, oh, really? I usually watch them illegally. That's amazing. Huh. Yeah, pirating yeah. Jeopardy. I would have never yeah. thought. Like, yeah, always just and also, that was on the TV, and that's it. Yeah. yeah, and I watch it by myself, which is pretty sad in a lot of people's <laughs> eyes. But I, I, I love it. I've always watched Jeopardy ever since I was a kid. Aww. I enjoy Jeopardy. Yeah. I don't watch it that often, but anytime it's on, I'm like. Quality program. There's some <laughs> real drama on that show. Yeah. Like, really? I mean, right now they're having the greatest of all time. It's uh, they have like the three best players of forever. Oh. It's I think, yeah, they're doing it right now. It's intense. Yeah, these guys are geniuses, man. They're awesome. <laughs> anyway, I have a friend, Marky. Marky would kill it on Jeopardy. Uh, he's probably since I don't know if he would anymore. He's, he's just this guy. Kind of <laughs> so this bottle. is not my impression of Marky. Yeah, yeah, I've no, never met and heard lots of But back of stories, when we were but... in like high school, we would watch. We watched. And he would just nail yeah, it. Nail it. He just one of the, he just, He's got a weird memory and a weird guy. <laughs> He'd be good at fucking Jeopardy. Yeah, I Shout used to, to watch Marky. it with my dad, and the, when I was, it was sometime when I was like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, I realized I was better than him, mm. and it was the first time I was ever better than my dad at something you know it's an exciting, exciting moment yeah. yeah i think i stopped watching it with them because i just had this like you don't want to see your dad ever fail mm-hmm. at something you know <laughs> i could see that he just wasn't wasn't his mind wasn't quick enough or mm. something yeah that was just kind of a sad moment but also one i was very proud of oh it's a very pivotal moment in a young yeah. man's life yeah and i feel grateful my dad is like the most terrible singer ever so from like <laughs> Day one, I knew I was better than him in some category. I heard you sing a few notes downstairs a little while ago. You're, you can tell you're a good singer. Thank you. Yeah. It's a fantastic You know when you can tell someone right away, like immediately? If you just hear them singing in the shower or something. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I think you're a great singer. Thank you, dear. I feel like you're sometimes self-conscious about your singing. Well, that's because I also had a brother who uh, uh. beat me into submission and shamed me endlessly about there's nothing I could do that would be more annoying to the human race than sing. So. I was yeah. When I was young, my dream job was being a photographer for National Geographic's. I thought that would be the best. I was always like photography. Uh, you get paid to go to <clears throat> awesome places, yeah. like the coolest of the awesome, like, like the best of the best. And get one. I mean, I also uh, as a kid had like a box set of National Geographic's down. There. We had a house in the Chesapeake Bay, and uh, there was no TV. There was no so it was, it was either you were watching these National Geographic's or you were out in nature. And it was like our two things that we did. <laughs> and uh, so I could probably quote these things to the, to the day, to this day. I was like, you know, Madagascar, just going in and taking pictures of albino crocodiles. <laughs> it sounds yeah. awesome. They get paid to do this? Like, hell yeah. That was, yeah. that was my dream job. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that a lot of these, yeah, with these those guys, like, they're famous for their, I mean, the guys that shoot nature and stuff, they're famous for waiting. Mm. You know, like, you see in the... You know, in the, the the little documentary they have at the end of, like, an episode of Planet Earth or whatever, where they'll have a little... They'll show how the photographers got the photos. And a lot of it's just sitting in one spot. They'll sit there for, like, eight months. Jesus. Or something. And just every day waiting for the that rare cougar or something to come by. And then finally it does. I mean, that must be a great moment. But then you've got eight months of just freezing your ass off out and, and something. But... God bless those guys for what they do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now, as I don't think, I think uh, probably more human-oriented pieces, I think, would be. But I would also, I mean, how was it being in, in Nepal at such a pretty, turbulent time? Yeah, pretty life-changing um, because I had finished school and then I was going to go around because I was, uh, I developed a, quite a good Canadian portfolio. Uh, I got... I did an internship at the end of school at, like, Victoria News. Victoria is, like, the capital of British Columbia. It's not nearly as big as Vancouver, but uh, it's, it's a city none, nonetheless. And um, I actually got hired for a short period after school was finished. And I was super proud because here, I, yeah, same as you, I was like, I am, a, I am a employed as a photographer. Like, I'm employed. It that's a, It's incredible. I was so proud of myself, you know, that... My work had paid off, but uh, when I started working at the newspaper, uh, I was I was writing too, and it was a lot of like going. Could you could you go take photos of like the seagulls down at the seashore, or so and so got a job in the engineering department? Like, can you go and take their photo or something? And I was like, I don't know if I like these stories are. This isn't exactly what I wanted to do because I'd been traveling for like more than 10 years at that point. And I, I'm like, I want to tell a world story, <clears throat> not a, essentially a small town Canadian story. Um, and writing too, I was sitting at my desk. I remember turning to this really great reporter who had the, in the desk ne- next to me and I was writing these stories about like local hockey or things like that. And I'd never had a job in an office before. So I turned to him and I'm like, hey man, um, how... How much am I supposed to write? Like, am I supposed to bust my ass, like, all day, like, writing as hard as I can? Or, um, 
or like you know what's what's your quota like and he turned to me and he goes he goes just shit it out (laughs) (laughs) just shit it out and I'll, i'll never forget that like he's just saying dude just make content like I'm like, but I'm not even interested in hockey or these uh, these things I'm doing. I have no interest in them whatsoever. He's like, just just shit it out, man. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, like is that what this is, really? You know, like this. So I decided to go back to Asia and do a big travel around Asia. It's like like Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, and stuff. And I did all, all that. Took a lot of pretty good photos and then and the, my last thing I was going to do was to go to Nepal for a month and go around Nepal and take photos and I flew there on April 25th 2015 which is the day the same day of the earthquake oh wow yeah so I was actually on the plane when the earthquake happened oh my god and we got diverted because we couldn't land and they they had a few unsuccessful attempts to land and we landed the next day or, or something like that I don't know how, how long it actually took, but, yeah, it was, like, so we landed on, like, the 26th or where, something. Where, what did they do with oh, you for day? Just... We had to go to, um, we waited, we had to go to Bangladesh. Oh, okay. We, we waited for around, I think it was around 18 or 20 hours on the runway, because they wouldn't let us into Bangladesh. <clears throat> um, they were, like, it was, it was, like, 40 degrees in the plane. Like, they turned the plane off. We're just sitting in the sun. There's were kids on there. There were people like passing out. Oh my god! Uh, and things from the heat, and they, there was no food. They'd already served us the the food, Jeez. and so, they, and they were just like, "Look, there's no food." And um, eventually, they got someone to bring us some cookies or something. And eventually, they. But they, I remember them saying, "Look, you're not going into Bangladesh. Like, they're never gonna let us in there. You guys all have to get visas and whatnot. Wouldn't it just not? It's not happening." But after a long time, they they let us in. And they let us go to a hotel for around five hours, and then they we went back to the airport. And as soon as we got on the plane, that plane too, we weren't sure it was going to take off. And they decided to feed us breakfast, even though we'd already had breakfast like an hour before at the hotel. We're like, maybe you should just hold on to that food because <laughs> we don't know. <clears throat> so we flew to to Kathmandu because they won't tell you if, tell you if you can land until you until until you're there. Like they don't give you clearance. Uh, before you leave, they uh-huh. give you clearance when you enter the airspace. Hmm. And we didn't know that they we would circle around Kathmandu, and they sent us back to Bangladesh again. <gasps> yeah, and then we got, and then we finally went, and we flew, and there was like a crack on the run- runway and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we got in, and I was. <clears throat> Holy shit. Yeah, I, I was extremely. It's hard hard to explain. Like I was very very ambitious. The whole time I was in photography school, I was just to a fault. Like, I remember going to cover protests and stuff for school, and I would always look around to the other photographers, like the pros who uh, were working for the newspapers, the big newspapers, the Canadian newspapers, and um, and think, like, why aren't they being more aggressive? I, th- I, f- I thought people would be really aggressive trying to get these photos but they weren't they were very it was very easy for me to kind of step to the front of the crowd and get the photos i needed and i was just always thinking look i'm getting these fucking photos so, like i'm not going back without these photos i'm going to get them any any way i can and 
Um, I, I was still like that. Like, I was very, I don't know. I was, like, people compared me to a paparazzi in school, for sure. That I, I, I just wouldn't, I didn't have any, any qualms about just doing whatever I had to do. Like, I wasn't moving. Like, there's stories of these photographers back in the day that would move bodies into, like, they would show up on a scene of a murder and they'd move the bodies around to get... I wasn't, wouldn't go that far or anything like that. But, <clears throat> yeah, I, I wanted to excel, and I really wanted to get great photos and get published in the New York Times and and things like that, so... I don't know how to say this for you guys to understand, everyone to understand, but I felt excited, you know, not, I wasn't aware of what the, wasn't even thinking much about what had happened, like the loss of life, the suffering. I couldn't relate to that at all. All I saw was like, like this is the job that I've trained to do in school and this is what I'm dead serious about, and I'm gonna do this. When that plane landed, I was desperate to to get in the shit. And it was like the universe start... gave you this huge opportunity. It's, yeah, I don't want to use mean, the word opportunity, pretty, but it's pretty there. wild. How how you would just how long had you been out of photography school before this happened? I don't know, like eight months or something. So that's pretty. I mean, months? then you're flying into like I mean. It happens for you. It's the biggest news story uh, in the world. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. pretty. In, like that's the the luck of that it's yeah i don't want to use those words i mean i I don't want you guys to think that i'm a total asshole but i I would have felt the exact same way all the the other like a lot of other students at the school i went they were i don't know like they were super jealous they were just like i can't believe nate i can't believe his luck essentially like he he just flew there right on the right day and um (laughs) <laughs> yeah so it's a terrible room. feeling it's a ter- it's hard to talk about and my teachers too call just like oh i'm so proud you know like my teachers are incredible the teachers at my school it was called the western academy of photography they are just the best and they just support everything um they want you they wanted you to take risks and take get the photos and you know do yeah they want you to make mistakes and learn these things. So anyway, I get I get there and I the first thing I did I think was I went to I wrote a story for the Huff, Huffington Post about um delivering babies and the earthquake because it just occurred to me that you know the babies are going to keep coming. They don't care about the earthquake, right? <laughs> so that if I just went to <laughs> It sounds terrible to talk about, but if I went to the maternity hospital in yeah. Kathmandu, that there would probably be some great stories there. That doesn't sound terrible at all. It was probably true. Well, I went in. I just went in with my, my camera, very, very cocky, very, very confident, and and I felt like I had this right to be there in a way. Uh, very naive. Um it seems like a completely different person, to be honest. But I, I went into there and just started taking photos of of women, like, in labor. And there was all these women outside sitting on the parking lot with, well, women and men um, that were in pain. People were screaming, and they were delivering babies in the parking lot. And I got a interview with the 
the head of the hospital, the hospital director, and he was just telling these stories about how the, the this is how amazing Nepali people are, you know. But they that they were that when the earthquake had happened, they were scared that the hospital was going to fall down. So they would they had taken all the women out into the parking lot and they were doing mm-hmm. cesarean sections out in the in the parking lot. Oh, and that yes. he, he said that no, none of the staff, none of the nurses or anyone, even though their fam- many of them had lost their entire family in like their a lot of the they don't their families don't live in Kathmandu they live in other places that were hit very hard by the earthquake and he, he said nobody nobody left the not one staff member went home or just went to their find their mom or anything they all stayed and just kept delivering babies wow. and he said that they were delivering 70 babies a day and i was just like this is crazy but i was so I was taking photos in there, and this other another doctor came up to me and just started screaming at me. He was so. He's like, "How could you just come in here and just start, start taking photos?" And I was my feeling was like, "Dude, I am trying to help you. Like, I am trying to help you. That this is what my this is what my job is. I'm trying to bring attention to the story. Like, total asshole. Like, total." <laughs> completely clued out like oh my god i i just feel so terrible about that even though he did he he calmed down a bit very quickly and we both calmed down he said he was sorry and i said i'm sorry and then he he let me he kind of gave me permission to do whatever i wanted but i still yeah think about that but on that same day i went to Bhaktapur, which is just outside of Kathmandu. it's like the the heritage like a, it's like has a it's just full of temples, this, this little town, and it was totally destroyed. So I go there, and I'm on top of this, uh, uh, it's like a rubble pile, maybe like 30 meters high. And this is the story that I told to in front of the class that I'm about to tell you right now. So I climb on top of this rubble pile, and I'm taking photos. Of there's, there's people standing around and, and just collapsed buildings everywhere, and... Um, this young girl is down at the bottom of the the hill and she's kind of waving at me and she approached me she comes walking i can see she's gonna she's standing in this group of men and then she's 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 like a teenager she starts walking up the rubble pile towards me and just as she approached me i just decided i was going to take her photo and i and when i raised my camera up she just stopped and kind of smiled and i had this really nice portrait of her and then she says to me, like, she introduced herself and that she she asked me what I was doing and, and stuff. And then as I started to explain who I was, she, she motioned down the hill to the group of men. And she goes, uh, my father and my brother. And I, I thought she meant, I was like, oh, she wants me to meet her father. And so, like, before we talk more, she wants me to meet the men or, or whatnot. So I start to walk down the hill, and she kind of grabs me on the on the arm and, and says, "No, no, no! My father and my brother are here." Mm. And she's pointing at our feet. She's like, "We're you're standing on them." Oh shit! Yeah. And that was. And then, then the, yeah, it's like well, it's hard to. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so she. Then she's asking me if I was hungry and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is just... So I had a real hard time with that. 
that really just really bothered me that I could be so just such a bad foreigner in their country and so focused on my own shit um, you know that I'd made such a horrible mistake and I went back to my room looked at the photos and I called some of my teachers like I really needed to felt like I really needed to talk to my dad but my dad passed away <clears throat> a long time ago in 2003 so I called some teachers and and you know got a talked for a long time uh, about what a mistake I'd made and you know essentially I not not respecting my my subjects at all I'm shooting completely without thinking about them and um, I'd always had this philosophy that it's you know it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission Th this is what they teach you in photography school and that that wasn't that wasn't uh wasn't the right way to go people always ask ask me you know because i take so much street photography and photos of strangers and they want to know like how do you get the photo and it's something that i've thought about so much uh that uh i mean you need to take a lot of chances but there's so many thousands of photos that I took of people where I, you know, like in, in English we say take a photo, but in other languages they say make a photo. But it's true. I'm taking, when you take a photo of somebody, it's like on my shirt. It likens photography to shooting a gun. And this is very true. That's why we use the same terminology almost exactly for everything we do as people who are sh who are snipers in the army and stuff, you know, we shoot things. We shoot and we focus. Yeah. On target. Um, so this was a major turning point in my in my life and in my photography and just the way I think about pretty much everything in the world. Uh, everything that I do is is just having a respect for for my subjects, just in general, for people, for humanity. So what did it mean? How would you have approached that situation differently, knowing, having that experience? Like, if you were able to go back in time and, and approach that same scene, like, um, like, would you walk in? You can't, I mean, I can't, I don't think it's feasible to ask, say, all the pregnant women who are giving birth, like, can I take a photo of you? Like, how do you go about it? Um ask permission from someone in charge. Hmm. Uh, don't assume that you, uh, that you're such a good photographer or whatever, that your, your photos have that Im importance, you know, that this great importance, even like, you know, out of all the photos I took at that hospital, I used maybe two of them. So like, so say 300 people, I, took their I, I invaded their one of their most probably their most private moment um one of their most private moments you know birthing a ch their child has nothing to do with me and i did that for nothing like and now hmm. um 
every time I take a photo, I ask myself, is this worth it? Is, is it worth it? Because you're taking a little bit of someone's from someone every time you take a photo you you take but a little how do you how do you value that like how do you how do you value that like the potential of what the photograph could be is you know that those of those women in those vulnerable positions i mean the potential that that photo photograph has and, and it's kind of like why you know you felt that way that you did is it could have tremendous value i mean you could have brought in you know yeah millions of dollars saving millions of like saving lives from these one you know and that's how that's how i I would, I would have, I can sympathize because I would have went in with the same, you know, like, listen, like these photographs could bring in aid that's worth, you know, that could save people's lives. And yeah, that's what we go on. That's what we tell ourselves when we, (laughs) yes, invade somebody's. So how do you, so when you're, when you're doing that calculus in your mind, like, I mean, those, those, we're talking about extreme examples, but like, even like say on the, on, on. Cause I always, I would like to be able to be more bold about taking random people's pictures. I think yeah. that'd be a lot of fun to be able to go out and sort of like, wish I could do it invisibly. Like, you know, so I didn't feel like, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I ha- do you, do you, do you do it on the potential of what that photograph could be? Do you? Yeah. Um, but a lot, when you, when you get, you know, good enough, you, the idea is that you pre pre visualize what this photo is going to look like, so you have an idea of what lens you're using, what settings, and then you can kind of you can you can see in your mind what it's going to look like. Then you raise the camera up and try to make that into a reality. And if and most of the time you kind of know already, like it's not a lot of guesswork. Like I know if this is going to be good or not before I take the photo or not always and sometimes it's called spray and pray when you just like like just start firing that thing like in every direction like when when something really crazy is going on all of a sudden and that's just what you have to do you just but for the most part yeah I can make a good judgment of is this going to be worth it or not and then I just have to tell myself much more you know recently I'm I'm going to say no a lot more than mm. I, but yeah, there, there's certain things that happen. That yeah, you know, in this situation, I'm gonna inv- I'm gonna invade this person's space a bit because it's worth it, and um, yeah, I mean, I'll give you another extreme example on this subject if you if you want, if, uh, if you're not bored of this line already, but. I was in uh, Germany and I went to, I was in Munich and I went to the Dachau concentration camp. Uh, and when I, when I was going there, I went by myself and I, I was, I didn't know if photography would even be allowed there when I got there, but I hoped it was because photography is just how I connect to things. I don't know. So I, but I was, I was sure that I would be very respectful. Like I'm not going to make any those kind of mistakes again that I, I was I felt like I was past that and so uh, so when I got there there was lots of art there that's one of the if you've never been to these places I mean that's one thing you'll notice first is like there's there's quite a lot of art and this is an art is a good thing art is how we how we heal uh, cer- certain things and there's some really beautiful art there and people were taking photos and I could see that so yeah, I was taking a few, but I wasn't sticking my camera in people's faces or anything like that. But I noticed, I started to notice that there was a quite a lot of selfies going on. 
Mm. And that was surprising to me. Um, there was a lot, yeah, quite a lot, which a lot of smiling, a lot of, uh, a lot of joking around, a lot of like loud conversation. So there's this American family and they are, there's like a father, like a, maybe like a teenage or early twenties daughter and the mother. And they're in the, the showers, like a, the showers that lead to the, like the gas chamber. And they're just talking very loudly like they're like a family on vacation. So he, he so he tells the daughter to stand in the, in the shower and he's going to take, he's got his iPad and he's going to take the photo. And I, I'm like, well, I'm going to take a photo of this because I mean, it's obvious, like these people do not deserve my, I'm getting all judgmental, right? Like they, they do not deserve my, you know, there was another person taking a picture of you, taking a picture of them. There may have been. (laughs) And they can see me. I'm not trying to hide or anything. So I take the photo of them and then the mom comes and she wants the father and the, and the daughter to stand in there so she can take a portrait of them. So I, so I took, I went right behind them. And so I have both angles. I have, I have them. And I have, I'm standing behind them, looking over their shoulders, and the mother is there holding the iPad, taking the photo. And I'm like, wow, this is really weird. Like, this is super interesting. So I go into the gas chamber, <clears throat> which is like, yeah, it's a, and, and I mean, it's a very strange place to be. Uh, and there's all these people, they're taking selfies in there. And more more interesting than that was the fact that there was like a a, line, a queue of people waiting outside the gas chamber and they were coming in one by one taking selfies taking a couple photos and but the the people in the queue were like um respecting their time in the ga- to take selfies so they weren't coming in all they were like one one by one they would come in and I was like, this is very strange. Like, this is... Because everyone's like, has this unwritten... They didn't know each other, but they're, they're respecting each other's time to take... To do photography of themselves. And I'm like, standing in the back corner of the gas chamber, and I'm just photographing them as they come in one by one. And they're holding the camera up to themselves, and you can see their faces in it. And some are smiling, some are not. Some are making like a sad face. <laughs> And, um, and I'm just, they can see me there, but I'm like invisible. Like I've achieved what all street photographers want, you know, what they desire, like to, they just wish they could be invisible. Somehow I'm invisible. I'm standing in there, I've got the big camera, but they're just not noticing me. They're not, they can see I'm taking photos of them doing this, but they're, they don't care. Nobody even looked at me. It was like, I wasn't even there. And um, same in the in the area where the the crematorium, they're they're coming in kind of one by one, and so this was like, gave me a lot to think about because I'm also taking photos. So, what's the difference exactly between me taking a photo of these people and their selfies? Like, is one better than the other? Like, they're both art, in a way. There's a lot to think about there. There's yeah. There's because am I. Yeah, I mean, I can't stand here and judge these people. 
My, my knee-jerk reaction is to say that you can. Yeah. Yeah. Why so, how so? Immediately, I'm just like, yeah, I, I get exactly what you know what you were saying and why you were thought that this would be worthy of a picture and, and worthy to capture in a moment and the commentary, the social commentary. And, you know, then I was like trying to sympathize more with the people taking the selfie. And that's, you know, there's a cultural shift now towards that. It's not something that I particularly enjoy or think is a good direction, but, you know. It's not really necessarily not? for me to say because it cheapens the moment. It's you're not, you're not experiencing that moment to its fullest. You're, you're, you're seeing it through a lens of what you will remember from a photograph. Rather you're seeing than, it through a lens of how you want to present your experience to other people, not yeah. even your own. And that's a particularly interesting one to smile in a photograph in a crematorium thing. <laughs> In, in preparation for other people viewing you doing this, this mm-hmm. seems short-sighted at the least. Can you judge them for being that short-sighted? I don't know. Yes. Perhaps. I think the answer might be that it's about intention, right? Like what when you press the shutter button, what is your intention here? What is your... Like, is this, is this about you? Like, your... Is this, is this a situation... Like, my camera's pointed outward. Your camera's pointed inward. Like, why? And I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're bad people or whatnot. But, yeah, there's something there that really irritates people when they see these photos. And it, the story goes on a little bit more. So I'm outside. I'm about to leave. The camp is shutting down. And I'm at the, the gate, the famous gate that has the sign on it, the one, like, Auschwitz has the same sign, I believe. And I'm, I don't speak German, but I, I believe it says, Arbeit macht frei, which means work makes you free, right? And this gate is the first thing that the Jews coming off the train would have seen when they arrived at the camp. So it's a very famous sign. There's probably about probably about 40 or 50 people sitting out, standing outside the gate, and they are all taking photos with their phones on the gate. And I'm, I want, you know, honestly, I want a shot of the gate too. But I don't want a, just a shot of the of the sign itself because that would be, there's no story there. Like, the only thing I care about with photography is telling stories. So there has to be something else going on to make it worth pressing the shutter button. <clears throat> so I waited for quite a while. There's this kid that kind of came up on a tricycle. His parents had him on like a tricycle. And I got a, a photo of that. I thought that was kind of interesting, like a interesting like contrast there. And then uh, <clears throat> this, there was this family. They're Russians, and they was four of them, like two men and two women. And they they're coming up to the sign. They're on the other side. They're still inside the camp, so on the other side of the gate. And they're talking very loudly. You know, not like they're being quite obnoxious, you know, I, I, I could say. Uh, not kind of respecting the severe nature of the location that we're in. And y- you can tell the body language of someone who's about to take a selfie. You can just feel that they're... You can tell, <laughs> yeah, right? definitely. And you could feel that the people around me went very quiet all of a sudden. Even though... So it's another very interesting moment because he's pulling out the camera she's kind of fixing her hair they're laughing they're joking around and you could feel that a line was about to be crossed with these people because they even though they were taking photos that that somehow the selfie was going to cross some sort of unwritten line with them 
Like, they're not photographers. They've probably never really thought about these things the same way I obsess about them. But they went quiet, and they all kind of put their cameras down. And then he, they're smiling, and they get together in front of the sign, and he raises up the, his phone to take, to take the photo. And I know what I have to do in this moment. So I step forward with my camera, and I clicked about three frames of them and just turned around and started walking away. And um, I guess somebody had told them I was taking the photo or they heard the shutter click because about five seconds later, I just feel this huge hand on my shoulder and this guy turns me around and it's the Russian guy and he's a huge guy. Like he's very scary looking to me. I'm I'm not a big guy. And this guy looks like he's been in the military for sure. He's just, he's solid as a rock and, and he's screaming at me. In Russian? Yeah, in, in English and Russian. And he's going, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck? How are you, why are you taking my photo? And, you know, you're going to have to delete that photo. Like, what the fuck? He's super mad. And he looks like he's going to destroy me. And, but in that moment, I, I, I'm just like, dude, I am sorry, but you made your choice. Like, everyone here has a camera. I just have the biggest one. Everyone here was taking photos, you know, and you made the choice to do like I, I, I'm he's not really understanding what I'm saying. So his, his English is not not the best. And I don't speak Russian. So in the end, I'm just going, dude, I'm not deleting the photo. So I don't know what you want to do, but you can either call the cops or or I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm not deleting it. So just get the fuck out of my face. Eventually, I'm going, dude, stop talking to me. Like, get the fuck away from me. And um, I'm starting to get really nervous because all these people are watching us. And this is not a scene, a situation you want to be in in when you are at a concentration camp. You don't want to be in any kind of, like, this is horrible what's happening. And I'm terrified that somebody's going to make a video and and we're going to get, like, people get ejected from countries for worse. You know, if, we, if, this, if this guy hits me, Like, we're going to get arrested, you know? We're going to get... We're... Like, the the social media outrage is going to be (laughs) insane. Like, you see what happens when people do stupid... Wear bikinis to Angkor Wat or something. The whole country goes nuts, you know? Or, you know, how much they shame on the internet. Which is ironic, right? Because I'm trying to shame this guy (laughs) with my camera. And I'm terrified at the same time of these people shaming me with their cameras, you know? And um, eventually I walk away, I get on the train, I go I go, go home and, um, and I'm just terrified. I'm like searching on YouTube to see if somebody uploaded a video or something like that. And it gave me a lot to, to think about, about, more to think about, about taking photos and when it's appropriate and when it's not. And I ended up writing, I spent a whole summer writing uh, an article about about this. I wrote a five thousand word article about just my experiences making mistakes with the camera. This thing that happened at at Dachau, and the whole and it never got published. Oh no! Because it was too long for one thing. <laughs> Nobody wants to read that shit. It was just not very good, probably. So, so yeah, that's the other. That's the other story about... What was the ultimate conclusion that you came to? Did you feel like you were in the wrong? Or, in the, or not? About... It, it's about... like 
the same things I these are the things I learned earlier that the camera's like a gun the it has a lot of responsibility when you're using it that it's and it's about intention what are my intentions here am I trying am I trying to use this camera for good or evil you know am, am, is this a selfish is this a selfish pursuit am I trying to uh, compliment myself with this? Is it worth hurting this person slightly? Um, just that, just how complicated it is to do street photography, to do photojournalism, um, and to just respect your subjects. That, I guess, would be the conclusion of the story. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You should send us over that article. We, yeah, we'll, we I want to read it. it. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I thought you were going to say that when the, the husband handed the wife to take a picture of both of them, that then they were going to turn to you and ask you to take the (laughs) picture of the whole family. (laughs) I would have said no, just for the record. Really? Yes. Good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, st- and and when you started the story, I thought you were gonna say like you know there was there was a, like a picture of like a like a grieving uh, you know old like a family that you know had a, a member that had died there and that they you know you were gonna capture this emotional moment of this family that was you know expressing this grief of the, the you know, <laughs> that would have been a better photo. <laughs> but you know then I was thinking I was like, but is is it okay to take that photo? I mean, mm-hmm. probably it's not. Ca- you know like. But it would be it would be a good photo. It would be you know. Yeah. But for what 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 purpose would we use that photo? Yeah. To shame them, right? Well, I mean, I mean. To sh- how is it shaming the grieving family? Yeah. Is it, oh, I, okay. I see what you mean. Okay, I thought you meant yeah. Uh, you mean like a a family confronting them? No, like just like a family that was that was overtaken by the 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 moment right, that they right. were in, and you know having lost their you know mother. Or grandmother oh, okay, or okay, I got what you're saying. Was yeah. expressing, you know, capturing their expression of you know, the complete opposite of where the story went. Yeah, yeah. which uh, you know, <clears throat> in that case, you would have to do a lot of soul searching <clears throat> before you you click the photo. You need to have a really great understanding of yourself. Mm. You need to be a very good person to take a photo like that. You need to really have your shit together um, to have considered y- yourself, who you are. You really need to know yourself before you, I think you can take a photo that good. This is, we had a school shooting in our high school, and on the second, or on the day, two days after it, the I was on the front page of the Philadelphia Inquirer, unbeknownst to me, uh, at the visual sight with two kids crying into either one of my shoulders of like me standing there taken from a low angle where oh, you yeah. could like see all of this um vigil tribute stuff on the floor near the flagpole and uh I, nobody told me this photo was being taken certainly not that it was going to be on the front page of the philadelphia Inquirer. And the person, I don't know if it was a, if it was the photographer who was also being the reporter, but whoever pretended to be like a kid's dad and was asking me things and then had quotes from me in the newspaper without ever saying they were a journalist. Oh. This was when I was 17. Oh, yeah. So how did you feel about that? Violated and yeah, confused. <laughs> Definitely. I'd, 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 been, I'd been thinking of a, 
that journalism may have been an interesting career th at that at that moment in my life. It was a it was one of the possibilities. And then I was like, absolutely fucking that. I want to get as far away from journalism as humanly possible. Really? Yeah. They also the first the day that he killed himself, we had the candlelight vigil that night, and um, like all of the news crews from the whole area came to this vigil, and that and they were there for a bit, and then a couple of kids in a uh, grade above us just started like screaming at them for violating this moment in our community and yeah. told them to get the fuck out. And they did. But, yeah, we had all just been, like, really uncomfortable that everybody was just, like, filming us, but nobody said anything until somebody did. And it, But it definitely felt like it made a lot of people then really, really hate um, journalism. Yeah, I feel like so. What, what was it that made you, the mo like, most uncomfortable? Was it the p picture? Was it the fact that they didn't... Definitely the fact that they didn't tell me that I, that, I, I yeah. find that. I mean, the picture I can understand. I mean, yeah, especially because that's yeah, I like would a have good picture. I would have yeah. spoken to a reporter, no yeah. problem. But I, I would have used a different language than when trying to comfort, a, helping I mean, like a parent help their child or whatever. I mean, I was that I was a student peer helper, which is like a student <clears> guidance <throat> counselor. There, I, I was, I had to be there at the site to like be giving, um, oh yeah, counsel and like helping helping people through this and whatnot, and. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that, I was there doing what I was supposed to be doing, and then just to yeah, it just didn't make any sense. It's pretty gross. It was really gross. It's I'm gross just like, behavior, why? Yeah. Why not? Why not tell me the truth? I would have talked to you. Yeah. And I would have let you. I would have let you take a photo. But yeah, that it was all like a, a surprise. I probably wouldn't have let it be such a dramatic photo of just like I didn't like the way I was looking like a, a hero and, and like really tall in the center of this with kids just like crying on me. It was all just like weird, and for that to be I like, I don't think the I would have minded after. them taking a candid photo. I'm mostly probably pretty lenient about how much I'd allow people to photograph me, just because I'm like, you wouldn't mind them taking a candid photo. Is that what you said? Yeah, like I, mean, I wouldn't. Yeah, sure. uh, yeah especially if they, I mean, maybe. it'd be even better if they were like, "Can we use this photo?" Right, like, that's sure, what I'm that'd saying. be great. That's but I, I wouldn't even really necessarily. But it had to be a surprise that. of like, it was my but, boyfriend's aunt called me the next morning, being like, "Oh my god, you're on the front page of Philadelphia Inquirer," and I was like, "What?" And. uh I think I like went to a coffee shop and saw it and was like, who the fuck took this? When did they take I don't even remember this moment. Like, Holy shit. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible. So weird. Yeah. Definitely. Did it ever, did you ever at any point think, you know, that this photo might have, might be a drop in the bucket or of that preventing that this happens ever again? Or, well, I was in, so I was the um, that was our junior year of high school and um, in our high school it, for senior year there's one person every year who select, who like does um an independent study of making the senior video and this is a big thing of like it, uh, we have like a big party the day before graduation that's like a cookout and we show the senior video so I was the person who made the senior video as a video the videography resident of our grade um a, a big honor and uh they the but I was also this um student guidance counselor person so right. I, I interacted directly with the the school district the superintendent the principals blah 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 and I was forbidden to have any mention of him in the senior video the yearbook wasn't allowed to mention him in the video we weren't we pretty much we were allowed to talk about it for one week afterwards when we were all like kind of going through 
like psychological counseling within our within our group classrooms and whatnot. Yeah. And then after that, we were supposed to pretend it didn't happen because they thought it would memorialize it and make it seem um, for well, anybody on the edge or anybody yeah. contemplating suicide that that it would seem like oh people will like love me more and remember me and like it'll like it's this huge glorious thing. Yeah. So. I don't really know where I stand. I thought that was weird and unnecessary, but I can't, I don't really know. I feel, I feel like no mention of him. Like we then tried to do like secret little, like in the, the yearbook, they did like a page with like, like a vellum page with candles on it. And in the senior video I made, it was, this was DVDs then. And so I made the DVD menu song be his favorite song. Like everybody knew. Um, so those were like our, our small ways of secretly tributing. (laughs) But, uh, even that seems weird now that we were like that we were so obsessed with tributing him. Like I don't know, it all seems weird in retrospect. It's just like I don't think nobody knew how to deal with any yeah, aspect yeah. of that. We all did it one hundred percent wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, you guys. No, you don't know. Yeah, <clears throat> but I can't. No, it's pretty hard for me to imagine that a kid seeing some random teenager on the front page of a newspaper with other teenagers crying on her would see this and be like, you know what? I won't ever kill myself. I do see how that could be like, wow, like I'm going to get so much attention and like people are going to cry over me for like years to come. Yeah. So you probably feel that something was taken from you by that photographer, no? Again, I think I would have been even okay with this. I don't know. It was a weird photo. I didn't, I didn't look how, like how, grand I looked yeah I looked very the way it was framed the way like everything about it like I looked like such a like angelic like strong person in it and that was weird because it wasn't like I don't know that was just like don't tell that story that's gross (laughs) I'm not a person in this story I don't want her but I I, I probably if they had asked to take a picture I don't know yeah I'm not I would I would have been fine with my picture being being used in general and I would have been fine with speaking with a journalist but yeah the fact that it was all very surreptitious unnecessarily especially if they interviewed you and didn't say didn't identify themselves it wasn't an interview it was like a one offhanded quote I don't even remember what I said at all but it was but I do remember being like what that was a fucking journalist like this person I definitely I I remembered at the time like this person said that they were some student's dad and that was just like profoundly weird like it's... it just seems so unnecessarily to, to lie to me and I did wonder then I'm like I'm like I'm 17 is this are you allowed to do this to me as a minor are you allowed to put me on the front page of a newspaper or quote me as a minor I mean they did so <laughs> yeah I mean that's pretty that's pretty bad to, to lie about who you are <clears throat> just unnecessary more than anything. Yeah, unnecessary. I mean the fact it was unnecessary but, but yeah. yeah that's not a nice experience this photography thing is serious business man yeah for sure and you need to they need people who are doing it need to they also took immediately after like the front pages for a couple other than my front page for like the three days or something afterwards was pictures of him that they took off the myspace and uh and they were always you know he was a theater kid most of his pictures were like jovial and ridiculous and dramatic, like silly, and they of, co- they of course chose the only like two or three where he looked at all mellow drama, like at all sad. And I was like, shut up! Like, I mean, I guess what is, uh, I don't know. I guess it wouldn't tell a good story if you're having this kid like in Godspell makeup and then he 
It's, like, he, he killed himself with wow. an AK-47. And it's cool, yeah. That certainly would be a, a, an interesting way to present the story. Yeah, I feel like that's a bit, that was a much more accurate story, but it wouldn't have been a, as whatever teen suicide drama. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's... What about... Um, like, do you guys ever think about... Have you ever compared that, like... Like, think of a famous photo, like, um, like Napalm Girl. You know Napalm Girl? A photo of the girl in Vietnam. Uh, and she's, her village has just been napalmed, and she's, like, she's running, and she's completely naked. And Mm-mm. You should, uh, yeah, have a look at it before we <clears throat> start to talk about it. But, I mean, here's a photo that's on every newspaper in the world at that time it's probably one of the most famous photos ever taken and she's she's a minor she's mm-hmm. totally naked and you know new york times doesn't put photos of naked children on their cover but they did in this case mm-hmm. because the photographer or they felt it was necessary right that's pretty powerful that's certainly yeah. and this is like the photo that we all because Here's a photo that changed the course of Amer- of the American War. Like the that um, um, like it literally people saw the photo. They're like, "Look, we're going to put this on the front page." Um, people literally see the photo. <clears throat> One minute they're all pro war, and the next minute they're like, "I didn't know we were doing this. We have yeah. to we have to stop. We can't I didn't know that this was what we're doing." And it, the photo explains it so perfectly that it literally changes the course of the war and people start to go, look, we got to get the troops out of there. Like, we can't be doing this. So there's always that chance, you know? That, that's, and that's uh, what, I mean, that's what I was kind of questioning before of like, do you, do you value the photo on the potential of what it could be? Could it be the next <clears throat> napalm girl? Could it, you know, could this... Or, you know, they, they just... It'd be tough. It'd be tough to. You really, you really gotta be respectful. I guess is really what. It, yeah, know. yeah, absolutely. That's tough, though. I mean, yeah, and people have a lot of questions for the photographer after a photo like that. Uh, another one is the from I think it's from Somalia, but uh, the the vulture and the little girl. You guys know that photo? <laughs> I don't think we know any the... famous photos. Yeah. So this photo is really there's a lot to talk about with this photo because it's it's, oh, a, I have seen it's this a famine, one. right? Yeah. And it's Kevin Carter, he, he's the photographer. And um so he takes this photo of this girl and and he he won the the Pulitzer prize. Um and he did a he went from pretty much obscurity to uh, one of the most famous photographers in the world, and he does. He goes on this tour, and people won't stop asking him, "Well, what happened to the girl?" And what? Okay, so you took the photo, then you picked her up in your arms, you took her back to the camp, and you you fed her, and then what happened to her? Where's her parents? And he's like, "I I don't know, man. I I just took the photo, and they're they're like, why why didn't you help her? And that's all they care about." And he says, "I did help her." I took this photo and it brought millions and millions of dollars to the situation, right? And that's the way I helped her. Uh, and people that like that's not good enough, right? And Kevin Carter killed himself. Oh. 
yeah, these are the these are the stakes. Hmm. I feel like no matter what you do, though, as a f- figurehead, the mob will get you for almost anything. Even if you were to pick her up and take her in, then I'm sure there could be a way to twist that and make that be a sure. disgusting act. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Especially, yes, in this day and age, they'll find a way to make it your fault. Yeah. I'd like to think that if I saw a starving child on the, in that situation, that I'd pick them up and at least get it fed and be like, you know, who can who can take care of this thing from from here on, you know, who can I shove this responsibility off onto? Yeah. Um, but I would hope that I would I would shoulder that responsibility as long as it, but as long as it took to show this, to give know. it to somebody else, at the very least. Uh. Um, this makes me think of this Louis C.K. bit of his friend's cousin coming into New York City from like wherever the prairie. And immediately seeing homeless people uh, getting off the bus at Port Authority and promptly trying to, like, give them money and help them and take them to, to safety. Yeah. And him and his cousin, uh, this cu- friend or whatever being like, no, 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 we don't do that. We pretend they don't exist. We ignore <laughs> them. You're confused. And she's like, what? Clearly they need our help. And they're like, no, 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 no. Just avert your eyes. We, we don't do that. Just keep walking. Pretend they don't exist. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you know what it makes me think of, much to my embarrassment. No, I don't. That kid in Vietnam. Oh, we saw a baby pooping in the gutter in Hanoi, and we were just like, don't know, don't know what to do. There was nobody around. I mean, there was a lot of people around. It was Hanoi, like there was tons of people, but but nobody nobody seemed to be claiming responsibility for this kid. Yeah, on a busy corner. I mean, with car, you know. And we we sat I mean, we stood there for like a couple of minutes, like what the fuck do we do? Like we literally don't know what to do. I mean, it didn't look like anybody was coming, you know. This kid's like infant. I mean, yeah, definitely under two, probably right around one. And to this, I mean, like later that night, I felt bad. I was like, we should. I don't know what the fuck we could have done. Yeah, what could we done? Yeah, I mean, I still, I still feel guilty about it. I mean. Yeah. But, like, what, it really practically took us through the possibility of probably, probably feels situation. pretty similar to what that, you know, the photographer was there. It's like, what do I do? Yeah. Well, you know, you could have picked it up, given it clothes, fresh clothes, and, you know, you, you know, with the change I had in my pocket, I could have done a lot more than I did, that's for sure. That's what we constantly face as, as travelers, is these things, yeah? Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, we've all seen that. And, yeah, I mean, it sticks in your mind pretty pretty seriously. But there, there's, it's always a gray, like, with, uh, yeah, like, I could, I mean, all of us have a certain amount of money that we've saved or whatnot to, to travel. Like, I could, say, say you saved up, four thousand dollars you know on, on your first day you could you could give all that money to one homeless person and change possibly change their entire life forever they could open up a travel agency and and totally their whole family or and you have other people on the other side who are like i never give no i no damn it no i never give a single cent to any 
any homeless people. And everyone else is in, in the middle somewhere, and we have to make these decisions. Uh, we have to try to answer that question for ourselves, like how much, how much should I do and whatnot. Yeah. I certainly have a lot of those images in my mind, too, of people that, children mostly, like, you know, that you could have helped. Yeah. But you I didn't. Understand. I didn't, you know. Yeah. And I always think it's, uh, there was a, I worked with my father when we were in high school, and, uh, you know, I got paid pretty well when he was doing programming. And, uh, and I remember walking out of getting paid one day and, you know, smoked a lot of weed back then. And, like, I'm going to go stop at the Mount Airy Wawa. And the, at Mount Airy Wawa, there's always one homeless person out there begging. And I, you know, and I was like, well, I got a lot of money. I'm going to give them a $10 bill. I give them a $10 bill. And I'm driving away. And I realized that I'm like now mad at myself for giving them this $10 bill. <laughs> I'm like, you didn't why did I do that? Like, I just bought yeah. their drugs, but I'm going to buy my truck. You could have bought me my dime <laughs> yeah. bag. Like, what am I, why the fuck did I do that? You know, and I was, and I was like, I was like kind of like observing myself going through this thought process. I mean, like, you know, and eventually I just came to the conclusion that, like, you know, that person was just sitting there asking for money, needed money. I mean, it's not really my, up to me what that person needed the money for. You know, I, somebody was asking for something and I was willing to give it. And that's yeah. really as far as that conversation really should go. And that's, you know, was, and I'm happy to do that. It doesn't, well, I'll say that. I hope that, I hope that while, person enjoyed whatever, whatever bag they bought. Like, it was, <clears throat> not for me to tell them what they're spending money on is it i feel like that's what my that's what my father taught me from the time i was little was like anytime there's a homeless person reasonably near a place that you can buy them food buy them food (laughs) he wasn't asking for food he's asking for money yeah it's different i mean like yeah it would definitely feel different giving homeless people money in the states versus asia Asia, it's like I might actually like help your help your life in the states. It's definitely just. Well, that was one of the things. I mean, nobody. Drugs are you doing? Philadelphia is riddled with people asking for money. Yeah. I mean, I, we were. That's one of the things that we found really surprising when we went home was just how many you walk down the street and you're pestered. And he, I've I've been asked in Thailand what by one person I think the whole two a year and a half we've been here for uh, for change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just I find that mind blowing. Yeah. In yeah, Nepal, they did a little bit. There's, yeah. there's, but I think that's a different cast, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thailand is especially the, up here in the north. Uh, it's very easy up here with, like, just in general, you don't have a lot of people approach you for things up here. Well, even in Bangkok, you might, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, back home, there, yeah, there's a couple times. Yeah, but back home the the. Yeah, the homeless situation in, in Victoria, where I went to school and stuff, is very dire. It's very, very in Vancouver. It's just yeah, truly Vancouver, unbelievable. Isn't Vancouver yeah. like the homeless drug in capital? It has of one the of the world. highest. Yeah, it yeah. has one of the worst drug problems uh, and homeless problems. Because it, yeah, I mean it's it's one of the warmest places in Canada. So, um, but yeah, I mean. Oh, man, I don't want to tell these stories. <laughs> no, I was just thinking about a woman came up to me and asked for change. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give her. Yeah, I'll give you everything I have. This is when I first moved there. I reached in my pocket. I had a big thing of change and and I handed it to her. I just said, just take it all. And she, she and I was going to walk away. She goes, wait a second, wait a second. And she picked out all the quarters and and threw the rest of the change onto the onto the street. <laughs> 
what the fuck? What? And then I I was like, okay, well, I guess that's the last time I will ever, <laughs> you know, I, it's like, man, what are we talking about here anyway? Uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. It just makes you, yeah, it makes yeah. You, you shut off. But I, I do often think, I'm, I'm not far from, I could easily, if I lived in an expensive place like Vancouver, I could easily become homeless, like just on... Something could go wrong. I could get injured or something, and yeah. I could easily end up just without uh, a place to stay. I mean, definitely people would, I would think, would help me for a while. But, um, yeah. That's one of the things that they're looking at virtual reality for is to induce empathy. So when I read an article a little bit ago, I was talking about how they, they, they've created a a, a virtual reality simulation where you watch somebody go from home homeowner to homeless and you see them you know lose their job and you see them get the pink slips and then you can see them move to their car and you see that you see you see this progression of just a normal person that could be you go from having a job and then all of a sudden getting you know and it's a way to 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 make it relatable to you. I feel like they really tried to do this in 90s television. Like, Saved by the Bell and Boy Meets World were always having episodes about, like, being homeless and they're dealing with poverty and all these things. Well, I wonder what, I mean, maybe that had this, like, so now people were more sympathetic, so now they give more money, so now they're, you know, my sister lives in Durango, Colorado, and they're famous. I mean, I don't know if they're famous, but they're, 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 they're known for having a really good soup kitchen and, and, and a homeless program. But then more homeless people started to show up and created a homeless problem. <laughs> like, you know, they were trying to, trying to do right by this, the, this vulnerable population. And what the outcome was, was a bit more mixed than one would hope. And it's, what do you do? <laughs> like, How do you know Saved by the Bell? Isn't that, you guys watch that show? Hell yeah. Are you guys? I never did. I was a boy meets world. Oh, you old? never watched Save by the Bell? Yeah, I mean, I've watched it... Uh... How old are you? 30. When, when when did that show... I thought that was more my my thing. I'm older than you guys. It was definitely, definitely on. It was definitely on in my UPN whole childhood. Like new episodes? When yeah. you were kids? I feel, I feel... Yeah, I think it might have been like later. Their later years when that were airing live but it was definitely reruns. I mean, I've seen I've seen every episode of Save by the Bell. Yeah, oh, yeah? Certainly on TV and I would... You know, they say that show killed Saturday morning cartoons. What is that? How? Really? Because when Save, cause Save by the Bell used to be on at like 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturdays or something. And then nobody watched. Because when I was, it used to be Saturday morning cartoons was a thing. Well, this makes me and not then, like it even more. Yeah, and then what? that show just commanded the, uh, nobody wanted you to watch the cartoons it. anymore. Bitch. I loved Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> my face part, favorite part of Saturday morning. They don't have them anymore, do they? Do they? I don't know. I don't know. They were good though. They were yeah. like there was quality programming. Do you, do you remember Robin Williams as the genie, like doing these pre-commercial interruption of like these little tidbits of uh, great minds think for themselves, or great minds think alike. Wrong. Great minds think for themselves, and then he would tell a little story about some genius of the past and how they thought out of the box. It's no. not ringing any bells. No, <laughs> this is part of our Saturday morning cartoons. What was what what network? Oh, how old are you? How old am I? Yeah. 44. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 
Trevor also Trevor's never Trevor's never seen Degrassi and he thinks Degrassi is to blame for like everything that's wrong with society today. Also, I, I really love Degrassi. <laughs> Well, I've never seen Degrassi. So you just heard me talk about it. What series, though? The I was I was next generation. Next generation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think um, really my, my 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 real argument, my real resentment is towards reality television, like the the real worlds, the which I don't know. I've lumped Degrassi in with, I guess <laughs> not correctly. No, I don't, I, I guess maybe I don't know. I just it was just people would talk about it with the same like the same people that were talking about the real world i don't know i just i just it just got lumped in there with them um so i, I admit i could be overly judgmental all right you have to watch degrassi and save by the bell degrassi is why i'm a musician <gasps> go on because of the zit remedy <clears throat> and you guys don't know I, you don't I, not I wa- you, you i watched some of the original uh well there's kids on the degrassi kids on degrassi street that's the first one that's from like probably late 70s and then Degrassi Junior High. I think I watched Degrassi Junior High. Yeah. Wait, this show's been on since the late 70s? Yeah. yeah. Different generations. And that's my jam, Degrassi yeah. Junior High. And then, gonna... and then it became Degrassi High when they got older. Yeah. But there was like Snake and Wheels yeah. and Joey Snake had a band. Snake the next generation. He's oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he's, he's like the, the teacher. teacher. Right? Yeah. 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 And Emma's mom and Snake. Or, or right. Emma was, Emma's mom was in that one. The... Yeah. They bone. Uh, Spike. Oh, Spike. Spike is Emma's mom. Oh. Right? She got pregnant in Degrassi uh, Junior High. She had Emma. Yeah, she had Emma. Yeah. Emma's mine. <laughs> My girl. Yeah. See, that's interesting. But like... they had a dope band, man. And yeah. they played a song called... I don't know what it was called, but it... Everybody wants something, yeah. something. You'll never give up. Everybody wants something. They'll take your money. <clears throat> And never give up. To, and it was such a great song. I just, we love that song. And I was like, I want to play guitar. That's awesome. Yeah, that was great. Degrassi changed his life. Yeah, it changed my life for sure. It makes me, you guys are, you guys are. We're selling it now. Yeah. I'd... Yeah, I could pick up the guitar right now and I'd probably know how to play that song. <laughs> nice. It's not the hardest one in the world, but yeah. We just watched, there's a show on Netflix that was made about, um, being in middle school the exact time that we were in middle school like the soundtrack was our middle school soundtrack like that was brilliant i mean it was really well done and it's like it's these 30 year old actors all the other actors are kids and then there's the two main characters are these 30 year old women so you're like it's like the story of their friendship of going of being in middle school together but boy, it's them playing that, themselves as that was a trip to 12 watch. year olds that was like Dude, this is like yeah, it was pretty. This freak, was my middle yeah. school. Yeah, I mean, that was. What was it though? What was it? It's called Pen Fifteen. <laughs> it's on Hulu. It just it has one season right now. I mean, oh, it just finished. Fabulous. I want them to do rather than like do like them going into high school. I want them to do it generationally. Like so, they did our generation. Do like you know, yeah. Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, Gen. Like, I think that'd be really cool. It's to see. nice when some filmmaker or someone just nails nails your your life like they're like oh that yes yeah that's that's great like a jonah hills movie the one mid 90s i haven't seen seen it yeah it's it's fantastic it really is what is the most unrealistic thing you believe in that i believe in yeah um probably love that's pretty unrealistic but there's like i don't 
yeah, this doesn't, that's not a real thing. It's just something people tell themselves. But then I'm like, no, no, it actually, it is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, like I look at my parents. I can't say for sure that they're in love, that they were in love. I'm not, I'm not sure what it was, but. Have you ever asked your mom? Um, no. She, no, but, well, my mom's passed away too, but she, she would have said that that she was totally in love with my dad. Yeah, I mean, she so did what, She did what, say that. What makes you think otherwise? Hard to answer that. Um, I think it's just more like this is the situation we're in and we have to love each other or or we'll, the consequences are too dire. Uh, I think that's one of the interesting things. Like, we know the statistics are that arranged marriages are more successful than... Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and sort of it, it sets expectations. Yeah, successful meaning not of like, hey, divorce. we're in this together. We might as well just make the best of it, rather than like the expectation that you're owed it to be good. Like, yeah. There's so many people in the world who never will get a chance to love anybody. <laughs> How sad is that? Uh, because they don't give themselves a chance. There's a lot of people in the world who just never have a relationship. Yeah, that must be very hard if you've never kissed someone or something. I mean, I think that happens a lot more than we admit or we talk about. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the main reasons I'm so incredibly pro-prostitution. Being like, I feel like they're seriously <laughs> doing the Lord's work of like yeah. connecting with these incredibly, yeah, people who are just so desperate for human connection and can't find it through, yeah. quote, normal means, but to deny that person of ever experiencing some of life's greatest gifts. Yeah. That's absolutely. Why not why not give them an avenue where they can have that and be have it delivered by somebody who's compassionate and respectful to their situation. Absolutely. Could you imagine if you were like uh quadriplegic or or had some terrible disease and your you know your only chance of having it of having sex or on, or experiencing that in any way is to to hire a professional to come and help you, and the government says, no, you, we're not going to let you do that. Yeah. Can you, like, how fucked up that is? Well, talking about controlling also, there's women's bodies. There's a lot bodies. of people with, uh, you know, um, I've learned about this on podcasts of, uh, like, helplessness fetishes of, like, there's a lot of people who are very sexually attracted to being in that nurturing position and, like, like at request of maybe an able-bodied partner to, to play in a wheelchair and, like, be in public and let them uh, care I'll tell you my story about when I embarrassed myself in front of Ron Haviv, the photographer. Ron Haviv is, was, I saw an interview with him on the Charlie Rose show like 15 years ago and it was the first time that it planted the seed of like, maybe that's something I would want to do. Because Ron Haviv, you probably haven't heard of him, but he's, he's a New York photographer and he, like, he, for example, like George Bush Sr. invaded Panama on his photos, like as a major part of why he did that. And he, and he, George Bush even says that in, in his speech right before they invaded Panama. He says, you guys saw these photos by the, like he says it in the speech. He, he played us the clip when we were at the, at the course, right? He, 
he had he testified in five war crimes tribunals about Serbia, about war crimes in the Serbian War, and his photos were used as evidence. Of, like this is like, wow. like my photography changed the world. Jean-Luc Godard made a film about one of his photos. Yeah. <laughs> one photo, a yeah. whole film about one photo. It's a short film. What's his name? <laughs> Ron Havid, right? Yeah. yeah. I'd love to tell you all about him, but anyway. He, I respect him so much. Like when I found out he was the one going to be hosting the or doing the course, like he was leading the thing. I was just uh, in in Chiang Mai. He, he, I was just so. It was blown in away. Chiang Mai. Like yeah. Was, oh wow. Yeah. So there's Ron Haviv and Gary Knight, and Gary Knight's also one of the most famous photojournalists in the world. He's covered Afghanistan for like 25 years and stuff. So, um, at the so okay, so we do the. We do the whole thing, and right at the end we had a big dinner, and then the he he was kind of standing there, and I, I'm like, I always wanted to ask him this because <clears throat> I saw there's a, there's this movie I really like called uh, The Hunting Party. Have you ever seen this movie with Richard Gere? No. And it's about j- journalists in the war in Serbia and Sarajevo and stuff, which Ron Haviv was at the forefront of. He's like, he, he's the, he's mm. his photos are probably some of the most famous photos of that of that time. And um, in the movie, there's a scene that always I thought was strange because in it, Richard Gere, he plays a a journalist who gets drunk on the job because he's so disillusioned with the war and ends up getting fired from whoever he was working for. And then he says, he's like doing a voiceover narration and he says, and then I found myself in the position where, um, where every, what every photo every journalist thinks like is the scum of the earth is like when you when you have to come to a war zone on your own dime with no with no support from any kind of news organization or anything and i and i said i, I said ron aviv like hey have you seen this movie you know because th- there's journalists who play parts in this movie that are his actual friends like people that were actually there they do cameos in this movie like sebastian younger you guys ever heard of him he wrote the perfect storm that movie with George Clooney. He's and he's done all this work in Afghanistan. He's he's in the movie, right? He's friends with Ron Haviv. So I'm like, he's like, actually no, I haven't I haven't seen it, but I know what it is. I'm like, yeah, because because there's this part in it where where Richard Gere says, you know, journalists who come to a war zone on their own dime are a piece of shit. Are pieces of shit. And Ron Haviv just looks at me. He's like, he's from New York. He's got a real biting like sense of humor. He goes, what are you trying to say? Like, I go, no, I'm just saying in the movie, Richard Gere says this. He goes, he goes, you're calling me a piece of shit. <laughs> and I'm like, no, Ron, no. Like, I should have just stopped at, right at the point where he said he hadn't seen it. But I'm like, I'm going to try to explain it to him. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, no, Ron, I'm not saying you're, he's like, you know, that's exactly what I do, right? Like, that's exactly my job <laughs> that I've done for like 20 years or more is to go to war zones well, on my own money. He's like, what, what's your most embarrassing <laughs> moment is? Yeah, okay, okay. No, they, they said one of them. And I'm just horrified. Like, I'm just, <laughs> and the whole class is standing there. And then everyone's going, oh, Nate's dug himself into this horrible hole, this terrible hole. And I'm trying to dig myself out of it. And I'm like, Ron, no, that's not what I was trying to say. I'm trying to know, like, how could that line have been written? And without, like, how could they be so ignorant? How come people, your friends who were in the movie didn't, like, speak up? Have you ever heard of, like, that? And But he had none of it. And I'm, as soon as I tried to say that, he goes to Gary Knight, who's, like, uh, he's, like, off in another part of the compound we're on. He's like, hey, Gary! 
Gary, <laughs> listen to what Nate says. We're pieces of shit. <laughs> Nate says our whole. He's come to this thing. This whole. He's like, you understand what photojournalism is, right? And I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, Ron. And then he, and he's, he's kind of going. He's like, I'm just kidding you, buddy. I'm just kidding you. Like, I'm just joking. But then he's like, hey, Gary. Nate said, you know, he's. You, you gotta hear what Nate said. You gotta hear what Nate said about us. I'm like, I did not fucking say that. And then two minutes later, he was like, thanks for coming, guys. I gotta get out of here. I've got a thing to do. I'm like, Ron. That can't be the last thing that I. You're only ever gonna remember the guy that said you're that you think called you a piece of shit. And he's like, probably, <laughs> probably, like yeah, I probably will. He's like, nobody's ever said that to me. I'm like, man, I just made such a mess of that that I. I mean, for a guy like I said, with who suffers from such anger, to go home after that Aww. was absolutely the worst thing. like i mean i still to this day I, I think i stopped following him on like instagram and stuff because every time <laughs> oh, he came up i mean i love your photos ron haviv you're you're a god to me you are, are a god to me but man i just i i'm so embarrassed about what happened i, I can't can't even look at his photos anymore i just well that's why when you we're talking about asking good questions. One of the things is you got to expect some of those good questions are going to be going to really suck. Yeah. <laughs> agreed. You probably, agreed. You probably got. You probably still laughing about that. He's probably uh, still that. Yeah. I don't yeah. think so. He probably he remembers like, you though. I mean, when he probably doesn't remember those other ten yeah, nine I, people. Uh, he remembers me. That's for sure. Aww. That's for sure. I don't. I think you're. Yeah, I chalk that up to a win. <laughs> I yeah. I honestly, I think that's more of a win than, than anything else. Yeah. I feel. Extremely upset now that I've just brought that up. Oh. Oh. Go home and cry for a while. Tell us one more inspirational story about how Degrassi shaped your life in a positive way. Yeah, That's yeah, that was, that was a good show. That was a good show. Honest to God, I think that I think you nailed it. I don't think I'm sure he's not sitting there thinking like, "Wow, maybe I'm an asshole because this one guy brought up this." You know, I'm sure he doesn't. He was not negatively impacted by that whatsoever. I, I think he's thinking this guy doesn't even. This guy doesn't know anything. Like he doesn't know anything about yeah, photography. Thinking, or sure he doesn't even know thinking, what we do. This poor kid just stuck his foot yeah, in his mouth I think so that's, bad. Yeah, yeah. that's what I hope. But. I am sure. I am one. Yeah, I'm positive. He, uh, as a, if, if you can't get to his level of fame and notoriety without receiving <laughs> a lot of criticism, Maybe, probably. And yeah. I think he can tell the difference between uh, <laughs> an innocent, stupid comment and. Uh, a, a, a malicious yeah. or anything, yeah. I'd like to hear him tell the story. That's yeah, me too. I'd love it. I'm sure he'd start it. This poor kid was trying so hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, once again, if he ever happens to hear this, Ron Haviv, I think you are a goddamn inspiration. Aww. And your photos are world-changing. Well, hey, and we'll your work is important. Yeah. And if you're ever in Chiang Mai, yeah. we, you can, you're welcome to come tell your side of the story. Yes, please. We'll reach out. Yeah. We'll I did notice right after that too that um, seven the seven photography workshops changed their rule that uh, and they 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 don't actually allow Canadians into any of the there's only <laughs> no, like a list joking. of a, no there's there's a list they they impl implemented a list of like you're 15 Canadian? countries that they yeah yeah no. oh no go go here he goes what what is are these what countries are they they're, they're like countries that it's you know that aren't germ western nations that uh like he w they want to help they're having them in chiang mai and sarajevo in africa they want to help help people who might not have the opportunity to 
to go to a course like that, uh, you know, and, and which I think is a good, a good thing. I, I just, I was just joking. I mean, I didn't, didn't think they really changed it on my, like, what are any more Canadians? That's, a, that's it. <laughs> well, we'd like to really thank you for taking the time to come Guys, and speak with us. It's been a real pleasure. It went by so fast. I, I can't believe that that happened. I really thank you for having me here. It was Thanks our so pleasure. Much for yes. Thank you for making a special guest of yours. Yes. yes. <laughs> nice to meet you, sir. That's my dad. I'm just Bill.